Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, March the 6th. It's the first Sunday of Lent. <clears throat> and today we begin looking at a series of Lenten sermons um, all around, of course, the life of Jesus. And we're calling this a desert, a mountain, a well, a pool, a tomb, a place of execution. These are the settings for six different gospel stories that we're going to hear on the six Sundays of Lent. And they sort of offer a map, if you will, an itinerary that we can take, that we can travel as we go into a Lenten journey. Today, we're going to look at the gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Familiar text. It's Jesus in the wilderness being tested, picking up with Chapter 4 of Luke, verse 1, reading in the NIV, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Wouldn't it be great to be so connected, so grounded, that when temptation came our way, we, we'd be able to stand our ground? There's a lot that we don't know about Satan and demons and temptation. For instance, does every human being have a demon assigned specifically to him, to them, to try to trip us up? C.S. Lewis imagined that scenario or such a scenario in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Does it help to picture demons as well-dressed account executives carrying smartphones? Or should we picture them as little devils sitting on our shoulders, whispering into our ears? How much power does Satan and his menus have? Can we really manipulate events or can they really manipulate events or can they just manipulate us? There's there's a lot we don't know, and it's healthy not to get too enthralled with it. But what we do know is that we do, in fact, have an enemy, Satan, the devil, who prowls around like a lion, look for someone to devour, according to Scripture. And what we do know is that, that you and I are tempted every day to break away from God's story, gospel, to go our way instead of his way. And we know that every time we do that, we bring harm 
to ourselves. We bring harm to the people that we love and, and the gospel of Christ and, and, and sharing that story, God's story. So wouldn't it be great to be so grounded, so connected, that when the moment of temptation comes, we'd be able to stand our ground? Well, today we're looking and and we're going to learn how to become, in fact, that kind of a person, how to find the strength to live God's story. John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, prepared the way for God's Messiah and told people to get ready for the coming kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. And the Bible tells us that soon after John appeared, Jesus came. Jesus was baptized by John. And this affirmed John's message that he was in line with God's agenda. The scripture says that as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove and landed on his shoulder. And then a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It was this amazing moment for Jesus. It it marked the beginning of his public ministry. But perhaps to our surprise, instead of seizing that moment and then launching this this preaching and miracle tour, Jesus disappears, disappeared into the wilderness, the desert, for 40 days by himself. So let's look at the beginning of Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's important that we are familiar with the Old Testament when we journey through the Gospels. The imagery, the symbolism of the Old Testament, the prophetic word of the Old Testament are important to Jesus' message and ministry but often we miss them. For for instance, notice that Jesus' story begins with the same way the human story begins in Genesis, with a temptation. And as soon as Adam and Eve were blessed by, by God, Satan shows up in the form of a, servant, of a serpent and tempts them. And then in Luke chapter 3, it gives us this the genealogy of Jesus. And, and the, that last line in the gene- genealogy tells us that Jesus was the son of Adam, the son of God. You see, Jesus is that, that second Adam. And now we know that we, now we, we know that encounter in the garden ended really poorly <laughs> uh, for the human race. How will this encounter end? But that's, that's not the only parallel. Notice where this encounter takes place. It takes place in the wilderness. What else happened in the wilderness? Well, Israel wandered in the wilderness. God led Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, across the wilderness to the very, the very threshold, the doorstep of the promised land. And he invited them to go in to take the land. But what do they do? They, they refuse. They turn backwards. They turn back towards the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years. So now Jesus is in that wilderness for 40 days. He too has a choice to follow God's leading or to turn back. What's he going to do? Well, it's not coincidental that Jesus's ministry begins with temptation in the wilderness. There's, there's nothing less than a, than a reenactment, a redo of Israel's failure. They're wandering. I grew up in the 80s I was a child I was I was in my 
tween and teen years in the 80s. And one of the fa- my favorite movies in the 80s is Back to the Future. It's pretty good storytelling. It's lost, of course, if you watch it now, but it, it, but it was pretty good. Marty McFly, he's a 1980s teenager <clears throat> growing up in a household that's, that's much to be desired. His father is kind of a buffoon. His mother drinks too much. His siblings are kind of classic underachievers. And it all started back when his parents were teenagers, when his father was humiliated by a school bully, Biff. A great school bully name. And when Marty is accidentally sent back to the year 1955, he arranges circumstances in such a way that his father is the one who humiliates Biff. Marty's dad knocks out Biff in front of Marty's future mom. And and that twist in the story rewrites history. And when Marty finds his way back to 1985, he finds his family living in a sprawling mansion. His father is, is a famous, uh, famous wealth Arthur. Biff is out in the driveway waxing the family's cars. Steven Spielberg and friends came up with this great storyline. But it's not original. It had been done before. After thousands of years of humiliation at the hands of a bully named Satan, Jesus comes back, came back, to rewrite history. Jesus came to face the bully. He came to show us how to live God's story. And the Old Testament tells us that human beings cannot live God's story by themselves. Jesus had to come to show us how to do it. So let's look a little bit at Jesus's vulnerability. As we take a closer look at this showdown in the wilderness, we, we can see, we can learn about overcoming our own temptations. First of all, I want us to notice how vulnerable Jesus was. He was physically, physically depleted. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. 40 days is that outer limit of, of human endurance. Satan will come at you and I when we are physically depleted, when we are most vulnerable, when we are tired, hungry, and so forth. But, but Jesus wasn't just hungry. He was also alone. He, he had no one there to lean on. No one was there to encourage him. And we become even more vulnerable when we are alone, when we isolate ourselves from other people, whether that be physically or emotionally. It's why it's so important to not forget meeting together, to come together, to be in church, to be present in church. No one, there's no lone ranger, isolated Christians. We're always talked about in, in plurality, the saints, the communion of the saints. So Jesus is hungry. He's alone. He was far away from home. The Judean wilderness was barren, remote. <clears throat> he didn't have, he didn't have his, his uh, iPhone, you know, in his pocket, no service in that wilderness. Um, people who travel for their livelihood, for business, for whatever, will tell you that they become vulnerable when they are away from home, when no one is watching, when there's no one around to remind them of who they are, what life is about. This is a dangerous moment for Jesus and for God's story. And then there's Satan. He's crafty. 
notice how crafty he is. He, he comes to Jesus three times and in three different ways. He tempted Jesus in ways he tempts us. First of all, Satan tempts us to have something we're not meant to have. In Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, Hey, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone. Satan tempted Jesus with the most basic and immediate need, food. Is, is there anything wrong with food, with eating bread when we're hungry? Well, of course not. It's just not what God had in mind for Jesus at that particular moment. Jesus was fasting. He was abstaining from food to focus on God. It was not a time for him to eat bread. And Satan will attempt us along those, those same lines to have things that we're not meant to have or to have them when we're not meant to have them. Sometimes he tempts us with food, with too much food, the, the wrong kind of food, food for ourselves instead of food for the hungry. But he can tempt us just to have, to have just about anything, you know, whether that be nicer duds, new clothes, a nicer car, more technology, or nicer technology. Now, now, there may not be anything wrong with those particular things, but they might lead us on a detour from where the Lord would have us. We might have to compromise integrity to get some of those things. We might have to work too many hours to hang on to some of those things. We might have to give less to God and to others uh, so that we can have more to spend on ourselves. Even if we can't have those things, the desire for them can sometimes rob us of joy. It can stir up jealousy and greed in our hearts. We can be tempted to buy into that, that somewhat um, ironic somewhat funny proverb of we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people that we don't like. Secondly, Satan will tempt us to, to be someone we're not meant to be. Verses five through eight, the devil took, led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan invited Jesus to become an earthly king, to have all the cities and nations of the world bow down to him. To be, to be clear, Satan did not have the ability to offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Lying has never been a problem for Satan. The problem, of course, is that this is not the kind of king that Jesus came to be. The father didn't send him to set up an earthly kingdom. He sent him to establish a heavenly kingdom. So Satan comes at us in the same way. He tempts us to be something we're not meant to be. Maybe that, that comes in the, in, in the way of, of, of power or, or fame or popularity or the, those kind of cliche things or, or success or to be comfortable. But of course, God's story may include some of those things along the way. But Satan comes along and tells us, to be them now before God's perfect timing. And so we run, a, we run ahead of God or we work around God or we walk away from God or we lag behind. But it's the same temptation. So are we being tempted to be something we're not meant to be? So we're tempted to have something we're not supposed to have or to be something we're not supposed to be. Satan also tempts us to do things we're not meant to do. Picking up with verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up into their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This time, Satan throws scripture at Jesus. I mean, twisting its meaning. This is an old tactic of his. He used it on Eve in the garden. Did God really say? You see, God did say he would protect his children, but he didn't say he would protect them from every single thing, especially not from every reckless and presumptuous act that tests God's provision. Satan will tempt us to do something we're not meant to do, to go off on our own, to live carelessly or recklessly, presuming that God's going to catch us when we fall. That's a dangerous assumption to make. Pigs were not meant to fly, despite the fact that Highlander Barbecue in Roan Mountain serves pig wings, and they are one of my f- most favorite things on earth. But pigs were not meant to fly. If they tried, let's just say it wouldn't end up very well. We were not meant to abuse our, our minds and our bodies with substances. Men and women were not meant to give themselves away sexually outside of the safety of marriage, the design of marriage. We weren't meant to let our anger explode. When we do those things, it always ends poorly. We hurt ourselves and we hurt others. So am I tempted to do something that I'm not meant to do? So Jesus was tempted along these three lines, to have something, to be somebody, and to do something other than what God intended. In other words, Jesus was being tempted to break away from God's story, from gospel, Satan offered Jesus a different storyline, one without hardship, without suffering, without the cross. And that's the same thing he offered Adam and Eve, a different storyline. It's the same thing he offered Israel in the wilderness, a different storyline. And it's the same thing that he offers to you and me every time that he suggests we be, do, or have something contrary to God's intent. Adam and Eve fell victim to that temptation, and the people of Israel fell victim to that temptation over and over again. You and I fall victim to that temptation all the time. But Jesus didn't fall. Jesus stood the test. He looked Satan in the eye and said, hey, my life is about more than food. It's about more than power and it's about more than safety. It's about doing my father's will and fulfilling his purpose. So Jesus has victory over temptation. Jesus faced the bully. Three times he came at him with his worst stuff. And three times Jesus fended him off. How did he do that? Well, if we think Jesus did it simply because he was Jesus, I I think that's cheap. I think we're a little bit mistaken there. I think we sometimes think of Jesus as some kind of superhero disguised as a mild-mannered rabbi, that beneath that robe he had on this special suit that gave him supernatural powers. That's not really what the scripture tells us. Hebrews says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 2, 14, 16, and 18. 
All Jesus was wearing under those robes was skin and bones like you and me. Now we can get into a very long and lively debate about whether Jesus could have or couldn't have given in to this temptation. On the one hand, Jesus is fully human. So if it was a real temptation, he must have he must have been able to give in to it. On the, on the other hand, he is fully God. And how could God violate his own nature and sin? Now, theologians can argue both sides of that question pretty persuasively, depending on what you read. But as I see it, the most important point isn't whether Jesus could or couldn't have sinned. I mean, he, he couldn't because he was fully God. But the, the point is, Jesus wouldn't have sinned, not because he had some special power that you and I don't have, but because he had so strengthened himself spiritually that in the moment he was able to say no to temptation. And that same spiritual strength, according to the word of God, not my word, is available to every follower of Jesus, to you and to me, if we are willing to live the way Jesus lived. You see, we find strength to live God's story when we order our lives around the practices of Jesus. Look again at that very opening line, verse 1. So crucial. Jesus, comma, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. Notice that Jesus was already full of the Spirit before he even got into the desert. That in the desert, he already had the power of the Holy Spirit within him. And what did he do once he was in the desert? Well, he fasted. He abstained from food so he could focus on his heavenly father, on this relationship with him. What, what was he thinking about while he was in the desert? He was thinking about the scriptures. Surely Jesus probably didn't carry a bunch of scrolls with him out in the desert. He had read those scriptures at his disposal because he had memorized them. He understood their meaning because he had been reflecting on them. And he, and it makes sense because if we take a careful look at the scriptures, he quotes, we notice that all three come from a small section in Deuteronomy that deals with Israel's time in the wilderness. It seems that while Jesus was out in the wilderness, he was reflecting on Israel's journey in the wilderness. So who did Jesus talk to when he was in the desert? He talked to God, to his heavenly father. There was no one else to talk to. Why did he go to the desert in the first place? To retreat, to find some silence, some solitude, to pull away from the noise and the crowds telling him what, telling him who he should be and what he should do. He went there so he could train himself to hear his father telling him who he should be and what he should do. Jesus didn't overcome temptation because he was some superhero, that some power that you and I don't have. Jesus didn't overcome temptation because he tried harder than you and I might try, working himself up. Jesus overcame temptation because he had trained for it. For many years, for his whole life, He had ordered his life around some practices that strengthened him spiritually. Now, we traditionally call those practices spiritual uh, disciplines. And we typically put them into uh, two categories. The first is abstinence, meaning not doing something, fasting. We refrain from good things, silence. We refrain from speaking, solitude. We refrain from human company, secrecy. We refrain from telling people everything 
that we're doing, chastity, we refrain from sexual relationships, we refrain from various things for a reason in order to make space for God in our lives. But there are also disciplines of engagement, prayer, scripture reading, reflection, worship, acts of service. Jesus had been doing these things, all of these, since he was a boy. Why do we think he knew those stories so well? He learned them in the synagogue. He had them ready because he had memorized them. He knew their meaning because he'd been reflecting on them. He understood the importance of worshiping God alone because he'd been worshiping God every Sabbath for his entire life. He was able to hear his father's voice because he had trained himself to do that since he had ordered his life around these practices. He was able to live every moment of his life in fellowship with the Heavenly Father and in the fullness of his Holy Spirit. In other words, he was grounded He's so connected that in the moment of temptation, he was able to stand strong. That same spiritual strength is available to you and me. Dallas Willard has done some thinking and writing on this subject in his book, The Spiritual, The Spirit of the Disciplines. It's, it's the sum of Willard's approach to living the life in Jesus. Stop trying to be like Jesus. Now, that doesn't sound like very good advice, He says it better. He says, if you want to keep all of Jesus's commands, don't try to keep his commands. Become the kind of person who would easily and routinely keep all of Jesus's commands. In other words, don't try to be like Jesus. Train to be like Jesus. There's a big difference between trying and training. If the average person decided to run a marathon, if I decided to run a marathon next Saturday, I would not be able to do it. I could try. I could push myself to my very limit. But the simple physiology, physiological fact is that the average person, especially me, doesn't have the mental and the physical strength to get up off the couch and just go run 26.2 miles without stopping. But the average person, even me, could train to, com- to complete a marathon by running a certain amount each day and by gradually increasing that amount over a period of weeks and months. The average person can get up off of their couch and increase their mental and physical strength so that they can run 26.2 miles without stopping. And here's the interesting thing about running a marathon. If you're training for a marathon, you never actually run 26 miles. I know there's different schools of thought, but that's one of them. It, it would so wreck your body that you wouldn't be ready to run for a month, at least the first or, se- or the, for the first or the second time. But you can train yourself to run 20 miles. Then you can certainly run 26. And that's how we overcome temptation, not by trying, but by training, by building spiritual strength that will enable us to do the things that we want to do. That's God's, that, that God's put on our heart to do. We can't overcome temptation by gritting our teeth and willing ourselves to overcome. We can only do it by becoming the kind of person who normally and routinely does what God wants and spiritual disciplines train us to do that. Normally I think of fasting as giving up food to focus more on God, but the truth is we can give up anything to focus more on God. And with these practices, we develop spiritual muscles and find the spiritual strength that will help us live in line with God's story. If we can learn to connect with God every day, we probably will be able to connect with him throughout the day. And if we can learn to be silent for for some time, a length of time, or perhaps for even an entire day, then we will learn to hold our tongue. I will learn to hold my tongue when I feel like lashing out at somebody. 
If Jesus had not ordered his life around these practices, the story would look different. When Satan showed up, Jesus was ready. He was ready when temptation came, and he was able to stand strong even when he was hungry and alone and far from home. He was ready because he trained. That same strength is available to you and I. We find the strength to live God's story when we order our lives around the practices of Jesus. So in conclusion, overcoming temptation is not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of training ourselves to become the kind of person who normally and routinely does what God wants. Jesus won this showdown in the wilderness. He delivered this roundhouse punch to his enemy that sent him staggering off, licking his wounds. Luke tells us that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him till an opportune time. Now, Jesus would meet this enemy again many times during his ministry, right up to the end. Jesus sweated great drops of blood as he wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane, resisting temptation. Jesus stood the test. He faced it and won. And so can we if we order our lives around the practices of Jesus. God's story for Jesus was way better than the story Satan offered. Satan suggested that Jesus make himself a few loaves of bread. But with God's help, Jesus was going to make enough bread to feed thousands of people. Ultimately, Jesus is the bread of life that feeds the world. Satan offered Jesus the opportunity to rule the kingdoms of this world. But God the Father made Jesus king of the cosmos with everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth bowing to him. Satan dared Jesus to throw himself from the temple to see if God would catch him at the last moment. Child's play. Jesus threw himself to the very gates of hell, only to have the Father grab him and raise him up and exalt him to heaven. You see, God's story for Jesus was far better than the story that Satan offered. And God's story for our life is far better than what the enemy offers. God's story for our life is far better than any story that we could come up with. The world could offer or Satan could slip into our mind. It's not necessarily an easier story, but it's a better one. And we can live it and we can find the strength when we order our lives around the practices of Jesus. Amen. And God bless.